0: Well, today. You know what? Uh, we're to encourage one another, bearing one another and admonishing one another. Those are the things that we're going to be going over. So uh, this, this idea of one another is important because like it or not, we are all part of each other. I just got back from Tennessee, Kentucky, and Ohio, places in those three places. And uh, I've got uh, aunts, uncles, cousins, Everywhere. I mean, there, you know, it's, I mean, we come from Kentucky. Okay, so I know our family tree has one branch. I understand that, uh, but we're all related. <laughs> Everybody in Kentucky is related, just about. Uh, but you know, we, we are—we're all related if you're believers in Jesus Christ, because Christ is the head, and we constitute the body. So some of us are thumbs and some of us are big toes and some of us are noses and some of us are ears and and eyeballs and feet and so on. We're all part of, of each other and of one body and we are related. And you all know it should not be about us. It ought to be about others. Our lives ought to be about others, serving God and serving others. So Romans 12, 10, if you're there, says be kindly affectioned one to another. Be kindly affection to one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. So to be kindly affection means to love each other as we would love a family member. I've got to unfortunately stop right there for a second because some of you are thinking, "Eh, I've got just one family member. I'm not that crazy about Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a family that you dearly love, love to be around. We're to love each other that way. We seriously, sincerely miss you people. We re- I'm not just saying that. We, miss you. we tried to get back earlier, and they were going to charge us like a $1,010 to come back three days earlier. I called up Fitz to see if he had any pull with American Airlines. They said, Fitz who? So, uh, so we stayed there the whole time. I did, I was hoping that you were flying, for the, but you weren't. So to be kind and affectionate, love each other as we would love a family member. We're to, we're to love each other like we love family members. And then in honor, preferring one another means to go before as a guide. In honor, preferring one another, literally, to go before as a guide. All the while honoring that person who's following us. And to honor means to esteem or to reverence. Now, can I say this statement? Too many churches are not accepting of people who are not... Just like them, they may speak different. They may look different. They may act different. When we were in our previous church, uh, we had a, a lady who came to church one day uh, and said, "I would like to bring homeless people to the church." She said, "I've been to a couple of churches, and they just don't want—they don't want them there. They—they—they they, they ask us to leave. And I just want to know if it's okay if we come to your church." I said of course it's okay if you come back right here. She said, we'll sit up in the balcony. We had about 500 seats on the main floor and about another three or 400 upstairs. And um, she said, we'll sit up in the balcony in the back. I said, no, you won't. She said, so what do you mean? I said, you'll sit down in the front. Pat and I sat on the front row right over here, kind of like what we do now. And I said, you'll sit behind us. And you guys know, some of you people from there, We we, we would... I mean, we got up to like 60, 70 people, homeless people sitting right in that area. They had preferred seating. Now, I know you Baptists don't think front row seating is preferred seating. <laughs> but other people know about preferred seating, being closer to where the action is. So, so that's, that's the way. Don't look down on that. You know what I see? When I see some of these, particularly young guys and young ladies, I think of my own son and my own daughter, and think, you know what? This is somebody's son. This is somebody's daughter. I very seldom give cash to people who are who are out on the street, but I will give them. I will buy them a meal anytime. I will buy them a meal. Um, and I think, I hope, if anything, if my kids ever need some help, that someone will be there to help them. Um, early on, and if I if I could go here with this, early on in my other ministry, I'm talking now 1970. Four. We had a um, we had a couple of black families. We had a, a black family, sailor and his wife who came to our church and fell in love with them. We they fell in love with us. He was getting ready to go home on leave. And he said, Pastor, can you give me the name of a church? He's going back to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I said, sure. And I went to my directory of churches and I gave him the name and address of a church. Well, a couple of weeks later, when he got back from leave, I said, How was the service? He said, Oh no said they met us at the door and said our church is down the block, so we didn't get to go in. About the same time, I had an RP. Is that the chaplain's assistant, an RP? Okay, Uh, who also a black young man who was going back to Florida. I can't remember the city. And he said, can you recommend a church? I did the same thing, recommended a church. He got there, same thing happened. They met at the door and told him he couldn't come in there. And this was 1974. We're not talking 1874, okay? We're talking 1974. I tried calling both of those pastors, and they wouldn't take my calls. But it broke my heart that people that had gotten saved, the people we baptized, the people we loved on, were like family. They were like brothers and sisters, and and they went there, and, and they weren't allowed in the service. Thank God that's not the way this church is. Another thing, we had a large bus ministry at our previous church. And there was a time when we we would run consistently 350 or so bus kids. And I mean, bus, we'd pick them up all over. We'd pick them up Chula Vista, pick them up in South San Diego, pick them up in San Isidro, pick them up in National City. And we'd come together. And and these kids, sometimes uh, they'd get off the bus and they'd start running. And we'd have people chasing them, trying to get them to the class. And uh, (laughs) Sometimes they'd break away and escape and go down to the 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. I I mean, and, you know, they'd steal things, break things, make a mess. You know what? We just loved on them anyhow. You know, some churches don't want to have an outreach because it's inconvenient, because it's messy, because... People, they're not just like us. They don't talk like us. They don't look like us. And, and the, the point is, the Bible says because of our relationship to Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior, our God, we need to be accepting of each other with all of our quirks, with all of our idiosyncrasies, without a spiritual, racial, or nationality checklist, Paul said in Romans 15, 7, wherefore we receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We actually bring praise to God when we accept each other as Christ accepts us. My all-time favorite invitational hymn, just as I am, if you I posted on Facebook this morning, listen to or go read the backstory. I had never heard the backstory until today. Or if I did, I forgot. I'm at that point in life where that works. That works okay with me. Uh, so, so, but it's an incredible backstory where I didn't know this: that C.S. Lewis got saved as a result of listening to that hymn after he'd been under conviction for some time. He got saved listening to "Just as I Am." Billy Graham went forward to the song "Just as I Am," and that's no doubt. Why, he used that as his invitational hymn all those years. So, receive you one another as Christ received us. The Amplified says, welcome and receive to your hearts one another. I like that. Welcome and receive to your hearts. It's not just, hi, how are you? It's, hi, how are you? I really care. I really, I really want to, to know you and to love you in that way. NIV says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. How does he accept us? Unconditionally loving us absolutely in order to bring praise to God. And we at First Baptist Church have endeavored to do this very thing. Anyone, everyone is welcome at First Baptist Church. Now, here's my question to every person here. Do you go out of your way to make every person feel welcome and important? If you're one of those who say, you know what, I, 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 don't, I, I'm have trouble feeling welcome myself, then you you are officially appointed as a as a committee of one, to make everybody else feel welcome. Okay, you we will deputize you. You go ahead and do that. Make them feel valued because they are important. Every single soul is important. Sometimes people will say, well, are you concerned about numbers? You know why I'm concerned about numbers. Every number represents a never-dying soul that will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And that's why numbers are important to me. I can remember numbers. I can't remember names so much. So it helps out. We're not into, or at least we shouldn't be, into spiritual cliques. Have you ever gone to a church, and and you walk in, and you're visiting. It's like on vacation. You walk in, you're visiting, you sit down, and, and people go, And then they start talking to each other. And then they glance back over and they talk to each Or, Or you've tried to kind of break in, and it's hard to get in because there's these little holy clicks. God help us not to be that way. Now, there may be people we hang around with more than others because we have things in common. But Sunday morning, when we get together, make people welcome. Make them know they're valued. Every race, every nationality, every social standing is welcomed here. The context of Romans 15, 16 talks about having one mind and one mouth which speaks of unity. So culture, race, or nationality ought not be a problem. That brings us to a Point one, number one, really, judging one another. Judging one another. Do we do that? Oh, yeah. I was looking for a judge that I wanted to You know. She's awesome. She really is. Judging on, do do we do that? Several decades ago, actual story, several decades ago, a six-year-old came home from school one day with a note from his teacher uh, in in which it was suggested that this pupil would be taken out of school permanently because he was too stupid to learn. Can you imagine a teacher sending a note home like that with a kid? His name was Thomas Alva Edison. Too stupid to learn. Maybe the teacher was too ignorant to be able to pour into his life. I don't know. We're to accept those who are weak, Romans 14, 1. So if you're weak, you're welcome. We ought to accept those who are young. If you are young, you are welcome. One of the reasons I love talking to these kids up here, allow the little children to come to me, Jesus said, to forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. We are to accept those who have different culture, Spanish, uh, Italian, uh, hillbilly like I am, uh, whatever. It, it doesn't matter because Jesus was accepting of Samaritan. You know the story about that. He was accepting of Gentiles. The Apostle Paul was sent as a missionary specifically to the Gentiles, the, all of the nations that were not Jewish. And then the Jews were also uh, uh They had their own, the Apostle Peter and several of the other apostles. We're to accept the poor. The widow with two mites is still known about after 2,000 years. We're to accept the rich. We are to accept the challenged. We're to accept those who have been wronged. I think of Onesimus in the book of, a little short book of Philemon. Onesimus, a runaway slave. Paul got him saved and sent him back and said, Now, to, to the, you accept him. Accept him as you would accept me. Paul stood before Festus and Agrippa and still pled with them to trust Christ as their personal Savior. Would accept those like Jesus did who stood there or, or was nailed there on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Being prejudiced one towards another. Romans 14:6, those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Well, we'll have our things. We, we got, you know, we, we probably have some vegans in here. We probably have some vegetarians in here. Uh, I'm sure we have some meat eaters in here. You know, we're not to judge each other. We, I I kind of, well, uh, (laughs) I'm going to move on right now, but uh, we don't judge each other on that. We we have to figure it out. We have to seek what God's will. James puts this whole idea of judging each other another way in, in James 2, verses 1 through 9. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith? How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Are those two things related? Well, James says they are. How can you? How can you claim to have faith? What kind of faith is that you have if you favor some people over others? For example, he says, suppose someone comes in your meeting uh, dressed in fancy clothes, and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor, dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discriminate and show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? That's exactly the reference I was thinking of when Kathy Garzon came to me years ago and said, can, can our homeless people come to your church and can they sit in the balcony? And I said, no, just come sit right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Don't give preference to those who have and, and discriminate against those who do not. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters, he said. Hasn't God chosen the poor and the world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander the Lord Jesus, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of, uh, second greatest of all commands, the first being love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he concludes this passage by saying, if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. So we're to accept. We're to accept rich men, poor men. We're to accept men and women. We're to accept sophisticated and common We're to accept black, white, brown, red, yellow, any other color. We're to accept Baptists and other denominations. We're we're to accept everybody that we can. If we show favoritism, it's very plain. James says that is sin. Each of us is important to God and should be important to one another. Third point is this. Steps to help us accept one another. Let's look at something here that's a little controversial to some. Everybody, everybody, every atheist knows this verse. Judge not lest you be judged. Everybody knows that verse. Do you know that verse? Put your hand, you know that verse? Everybody knows that verse. Let's not judge each other. Okay, a book should not be judged by the cover. Guess what? Rubber bands cannot be judged by the can in which they are housed or kept. So, so don't judge a book by. You, know, you said, in fact, I was going to take a Bible. I was going to take another book and take, you know, take it all out and just have a cover and put it on a Bible and show that to the guy. I didn't want to trick the kids. I, no, I like tricking the kids, but I didn't want to do it that way with the Bible. So, so, so you sometimes, you know, you say, well, it looks like a, it looks like a, a, car, a manual on working on cars, but then you take the cover off. It's the Bible. Don't judge the book by the cover. Okay, I didn't do it. Uh, so judge not that you be not judged. But do they also know John seven twenty four? Listen to this. Jesus' words, he speaks them. If you have a red print Bible indicating the words of Christ, it says this. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgments. Don't look on the can. That's the Jim Bayes version, translation. Don't look on the outside of the can and figure out and judge what's on the inside. He says here, judge not according to appearance, the seeing or the sight or the mere external evidences, the letter of the law, but judge righteous judgments, the spirit of the law. Now, one commentary, if I really mess that up for you and it's not making sense, one commentary says it this way. It may be difficult to render verse 24 effectively because of the abstract terms, external standards and true standards. External, the appearance, and true, what's really going on. In some languages, one could say, stop making up your minds on the basis of what things look like, but make them up on the basis of what is really true. Does that make sense? Or stop judging what people do just on the basis of what you see, but judge them on the basis of what has really happened. So, see, it's not saying don't judge. It's saying judge righteous judgments. Don't just judge on the mere external. That's what the John Matthew seven one was. Don't just judge on the mere external appearances, but here judge on what's really going on. One other example, he says, do not form your opinions on the basis of what things seem to be, but upon the basis of what they really are. So, so this judge not lest you be judged. No, judge righteous judgments. Don't be quick. Just on the external appearances, go to the heart of the matter. Figure out. We're discern. We are supposed to discern. We are supposed to judge. We're supposed to scrutinize. We're supposed to examine. We're supposed to know what God's truth is and put it into practice in our lives. Now, a word, a word to those who would, who would be. I knew a pastor one time who would tell his church members where the passage says, rebuke one another in love. I mean, that was one of their cardinal doctrines. You'd walk in the door and say, good morning. And they'd say something like, uh, you didn't comb your hair right today. Or, uh, you know, how come you weren't here last week? Or, you know, some, I mean, they, they were rebuking one. I mean, how'd you like to go to a church like that? And people walk up to you and instead of saying hi, they, they point out some fault or some flaw or some, something that didn't go right in your life. Well, here, for those who are hypocritical, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Ever had a speck of sawdust in your eye? It is crummy. It's lousy. I hate getting sawdust in my eyes. I don't like it at all. But he says, you have a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but, and you see that, but you don't see the two-by-four in your own eye. What's with that? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? That's some great preaching there. (laughs) I didn't hear an amen, but... First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that's how you deal. Someone who's judgmental, and they say, well, I'm judging righteous judgments. And you're saying, yeah, but you know what? There's this four by six in your own eyeball there. You need to do something about that. The Christians in Rome were guilty of this. They were judging each other's diets and holy days. And and, and in fact, I've got a whole passage here. I'm not going to read it all. But in Romans chapter 14, read it all. Um, One person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another eats only vegetables. Uh, Those who are free to eat must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't are not not supposed to condemn those who do. He goes on down further in the passage. He says, some of you think one day is more holy than another. For example... um, I'll point this out. I think a couple of times since we've been here, but the Sabbath, the Sabbath—not technically—the Sabbath is the Saturday. That's what the Sabbath is. It's not Sunday. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy under the law. It was—it was a day of rest. It was a day sanctified, set apart. They were not to do any labor. It's still a good principle to not labor one day a week. Man was designed, woman was designed to work six days a week and rest one day a week. That's God's plan, not mine. That's God's plan. So we need to take time to do that. But the day that you worship on, why do Christians now worship on the first day of the week? Because Jesus rose from the dead on the which day? First day day of the week. And so from that point on in the New Testament, they began meeting on the first day of the week. So that's why we do it. But look. Look, if you want to worship on Saturday, it's great. If you want to worship on Thursday at 3 p.m., super, go for it. it you know what? We ought to be in an attitude of worship every single day of the week. Amen? Amen. We ought to. We ought to worship. We ought to spend a time when we praise God and thank God. So, so what's with this? That's what Paul says, what's with this? Some think one day is more holy than another day. Others think every day is alike. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him and so on. So why do you condemn another believer? He, he finishes this passage. Why, don't, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where, that's where the righteous judgment will take place for the child of God we'll be judged according to our works not for salvation because that was already determined when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you got born again if you've trusted Christ you are born again but one day we'll be caught out of this world be the trumpet sound we'll be caught up everybody be looking around trying to figure out what happened to you uh, there may be a pile of clothes there. I'm not sure how that works. I don't want to go up naked. But if that's what God has in mind, I don't know what to say about that. Maybe, maybe we get our white righteous robes at the moment of the rapture. I don't know. But God will call us out of this world one of these days. And we go before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the bema seat, which is the place of rewards. So you go to a swimming meet. And they give out rewards at the end. That's kind of the bema. And you go to a baseball tournament and you get uh, trophies at the end. That's the bema. Uh, That's that judgment. That's that for rewards for things done well. Nobody's going to be cast out of God's presence at the bema seat. But now the great white throne judgment, a thousand years later, whole different thing. Because that's where the lost, small and great, stand before God. And they are also judged according to their works. Difference is they didn't have the blood of Christ applied because they never received him, never accepted him. That's a whole different thing. Why do you look down on another believer? We'll all stand before the judgment of Christ. You know there's a law of love that ought to govern a lot of what we do? There's a lot of talk about liberty, right? I'm a Christian. I can do this. I can do that. I can go there. I, it, I'm a Christian. I'm a, but there's, there's even a greater law, the law of love. And here's what a summation of that is. I won't read the whole passage again for time, but it says, but you must be careful so your freedom doesn't cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. The stronger Christian has a responsibility not to trip up the weaker Christian. I had a friend who was a missionary to, my oh, man, it was Pakistan. Holy cow, it was Pakistan. Uh, like 50 years ago, and, and he wouldn't eat bacon. Now, everybody knows here at our men's prayer breakfast, bacon is like. I'm not big on raising my hands, but when the bacon comes out, I. Okay. So, nothing wrong with raising your hands, by the way. I won't judge you for that at all. It's just not me. Okay, so, okay, all right. So, he would not eat bacon. He would when he came home on furlough from because it's Muslim there, 98%. So when he come home on furlough and he would go places with preachers, he still wouldn't eat bacon. And they said, "Well, why, why, won't you eat bacon? You're in the States now. What's the deal?" He said, "I don't want to get back to the people I'm trying to win to Christ, because they would they would nothing wrong with it. But I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. The law of love. He cared more about them." than eating bacon. Okay? So that's the kind of example. If others see you with your superior knowledge, and it doesn't mean superior like, oh, I'm so... It means you're a stronger Christian eating in the temple of an idol. They, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to idols? A lot of times, the meat they would buy in those days were, were uh, animals that had been offered to their idols, their false gods, and then once they were offered, they'd be sold to the meat markets, and the meat markets would in turn sell them to the people. And so there was this idea of you don't buy meat offered to idols. You don't eat meat offered to idols. If you didn't know about it, you went to someone's house, and they didn't say anything, you, you don't have to question it. But if they said this meat was offered uh, to idols, then you aren't supposed to eat it. You were supposed to say for conscience sake, you know, I, I, thank you very much, but I, I can't do that right now. Can't do that. Your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, that's what my friend Jim Turner was saying, if what I eat causes another to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. So Christians, be careful. If you have kids in the home... You are the stronger Christian, theoretically. Don't cause your kids to stumble by some of the things you say and do and some of the places you go. The stronger Christian should not judge nor uses liberty to cause another one to fall. They go hand in glove. So this idea of righteous judgments is discerning all things, 1 Corinthians 2.15. In 1 Corinthians 6.2, do you not know that saints shall judge the world, we're going to sit. We're going to be Judge Judy. It's going to be Judge Jim and Judge Daniel and Judge Rachel and Judge. De- you know, it's going to, uh, We're going to rule. We're going to judge the world. And that word "judge" there is crino, which means to separate, distinguish, or discriminate between good and evil. Select, choose out the good. In the New Testament, it's used in the judicial sense to form or give an opinion after separating and considering the particulars of the case. We're going to judge the world. The world we judge by us, are we unworthy to judge the smallest matters? We ought to be judging the small things here because we're going to judge kingdoms and kings one day. And, and next week we're having communion. And I try to always emphasize this. Judgment begins at the house of God. And, and I'm going to tell you something. It ought to begin in your own temple, in your own life. Wait, you don't have to wait till Sunday. This week, get right with God. Be right with God. Let a man or woman, let a person examine. This is, and I won't say this right, dokimazo, dokimazo, which means to try, to prove, to discern, distinguish, to approve. Uh, it has the idea of, of proving a thing whether it's worthy or not. Metaphorically, it means to make, put it on trial and, and, and to demand proof and determination and examination. So let a man examine himself And so let him eat of that unleavened bread and drink of that cup. So we need to judge sin. Not only, well, I'm going to judge it in you. I'm going to judge it in me, first of all. I'm going to judge sin in my own life. I'm going to confess it to God. I'm going to make it right. I love what I saw on the Internet a few months ago. Don't judge others because they sin differently than you do. Hey, all of us are sinners. Not proud of that, but it's true. All of us are sinners. I love this story. A preacher had on his desk a book. It was one of those those kinds of journals or whatever. It's all blank pages, you know, and you can write in it and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, And so, and he put on the outside complaints of members against one another. And so when when he would be counseling someone and they would have a complaint about someone else, he said, well, wait a minute, just, just a second. Let me get my complaint book out, and let me write down what you say, and then you can sign it. And then when, we, when I take up this matter um, with this other person, uh, then I, I know, I'll know exactly what you've testified to. And he said, invariably, people would say, I don't want to sign anything like that. And so no entry was made. The preacher said he had the book for 40 years, opened it probably a thousand times, and had never written a line in it. It's easy to see other people's flaws, isn't it? Okay, I'll give you the prime example, okay? On the freeway. Everybody on the freeway is an idiot except you, right? Right? I've gotten to where now, <laughs> I've got. This has been a, you know, I'm like getting, you know, really old. So finally, I'm getting to the point where if somebody does something stupid, I say, Yeah, I, I've done that. Because I have. <laughs> I've done a lot of things I haven't seen on the freeway. So I, I, I don't know. Evaluate your own actions and your own attitudes, not. Don't be a value. It's kind of like a, someone who's st- taken a psychology course and all of a sudden they start practicing it. Oh, I, Pat, I know why you said that. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just, this is just the illustration of my sermon. I don't really have, it's not even written down, okay? so Nobody wants a psych student practicing on them and psychoanalyzing them. And no one's too impressed with your judgment. You know what? There, there are times when the wounds of a friend are more precious than the kisses of an enemy. So there are times when a friend can tell you something that's not comfortable to hear and it makes you a better better Christian for it. We ought to respond graciously when that happens. If they love us enough to step out and tell us that, we ought to accept it. So evaluate your actions and attitudes in the church, in the home, in the workplace, in the school. And while you do that, Remember that Jesus was a friend to tax collectors. Friends of the IRS for crying out loud. <laughs> friends of the woman at the well who'd had multiple husbands. And the one she was living with was not her husband. She was, he was friends with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And I always wonder, as you do, where's the guy? He was friend of the lepers, 10 of them at one time, only one of which came back and thanked him. He was friends of the blind. He was friends, he would heal them. He was friends with the rich. Uh, he, he, would, d, 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 he was friends with the poor. He was friends with the influential. He was friends with the nobody. He was even friends with the thief on the cross. So I'm to ask you something. Your initial Answer. I know it's going to be because I know what my initial answer is. Not me. Are we guilty of prejudice and favoritism? And if we are, there's a solution for it. It's called confessing it to God. Determining to change those areas of our life. Change for the glory of God with the grace and the help of God. Pick out someone that you've shunned, someone you've discriminated against, someone you've treated poorly, and treat them as you would like to be treated because the golden rule, as we told the kids a few months ago, still applies. Would you bow your heads with me, please? The message today, not primarily a salvation message, but I'll tell you what, it's all predicated on salvation The reason we're to accept one another is because we're all part of the same body and that's because of our relationship to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So here's the thing. If you understand that you're a sinner, if you understand that you're going to die one day and that you'll appear before God when that happens, if you believe by grace through faith that Jesus Christ is the son, only begotten Son of God and that he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for your sins and mine, if you believe those things. And if you're willing to confess with your mouth, which means to agree with God and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means you, that means me. And if you'd like to do that right now, if you want to open up your life, your heart, you want to you, you completely repent of your sins and, and, and give all to Christ, then would you do it right now? Pray something like this. You can pray, Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I've done terrible things. I've said terrible things. I've thought terrible thoughts. And I know I'm going to die one day. It's not a pleasant thought. But I know I'll die someday. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that based on what the scriptures say. And so right now, I ask you, Lord, to come into my life, to change everything about me, to enable me to repent of my sins, to trust you from this day forward, that you would be the Lord and the Master of my life, my God, forever. If you just prayed those things, and you meant it with all your heart, you were sincere. With every head bowed, would you raise your hand up? Let me pray for you. I won't embarrass you, just put your hand up. Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you, God bless you, other others. I just prayed that prayer as best I know how. I'm sincere as I know how to be. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Christian, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it, is it possible that you've discriminated or that you've, been, you've shown favoritism? Would you ask God to forgive you for that? Would we make sure we go out of our ways to be accepting of each other as Christ accepts us? Father, have your will and way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Listen, gentlemen, guys, Mr. Fitz, Re- uh, Fitz Lee is right down here. He will pray with you. He will help you receive Christ. He will help you. If you have some spiritual battle, you're, you're battling, if you need prayer. He'll help you right over here. So come and and, and seek him and find him. And and chaplain right back in the back, chaplain Contreras, would you stand right back in the middle in the back over here? And and he's back there too, guys. If if he's closer to to where you're seated, feel free. Ladies, my wife is right down here. Rachel's right over here, okay? Let's let's not go home until we do business with God. We ask God to be in this place when we started this service. If he's in your heart convicting you of something you need to do, do it. For his honor and for his glory as we sing my favorite invitational hymn. Would you come ahead right now? Just as Come to him. come on. Open up your heart. Open up your life. Thank God. One more verse, just for you. Come on. Just as I and waiting, waiting not. Read my soul. One dark cloud. For those who prayed that prayer or those who are interested in knowing more about receiving Christ as your personal Savior, right back by the chaplain on that table, there are some blue bags that have information. In that is a booklet uh, that explains your next step. And if you'd like to take one of those, you don't have to talk to anybody. You just go ahead and grab one of those and take it with you. We're so glad uh, that you've come to be uh, with us today. Yeah, if there's anything we can help you with, even though service is over, we'll be glad to help you with that. Next week, honoring one another and communion service. So take this week to get ready for communion service. Make sure you examine, judge your own heart and your own life. Ladies' Bible study, uh, joy uh, at uh, 10 o'clock Friday. Yeah, 10 o'clock Friday right here. Men's breakfast. Okay, guys, this is the week we're going to Panera, right? The month we're going to Panera. Uh, Dan knows the owner of the Panera. I don't mean this Panera. I mean Panera. He, yeah. So he know, and the guy's excited about us going into a Panera store and having Bible studies because uh, we'll we'll kind of take over that one room. And so it'll be at eight o'clock this Saturday. Uh, if you can get there a little bit early, I'll I'll be there a little bit early. We'll we'll grab a, that big table hopefully. And you know, have to if there's some little kids there, we'll push them away and take the. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, so that's this coming Saturday, 8 a.m. on Orange Avenue. Next Sunday, honoring one another. Nominations will open next week for leadership team membership for the next year. Uh, So we'll have some forms printed up. You can nominate. If you want to prep for that, Read First Timothy chapter 3. It kind of gives a little uh, idea of the kind of character and integrity and quality of people that we want to be um, in leadership here at First Baptist Church. So uh, we'll take care of that next week. And as we mentioned, we'll have communion. All right. Oh, let's see. Peter, it's your birthday, huh? You want to pray? All right, Peter's going to pray on his birthdays. Pray for God's blessings. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the Lord's day.